So hello and welcome to another episode of the Hope Mindful Compassion Podcast. My name is Paul Garrigan and I look after the mindfulness program here at Hope. And my name's Penny and at the moment I'm a counsellor here. So Penny, today you you talk, you might talk about adversity in recovery. That's right. So what do you mean by adversity in recovery? I mean difficulties that happen when one is in recovery, but one's clean and sober. You mean it doesn't all become perfect when you stop using drugs? Unfortunately not, because it's about living life on life's terms and accepting the things that happen along the way. Yes. So what kind of... Because um, I suppose there is this expectation, isn't there? That you know, we can kind of say, well, most of my problems are due to using drugs or, or, you know, or a drug like alcohol or whatever. And that obviously when I stop that, all, all of my problems will, will disappear. I mean, why isn't it like that? Because it's about life. And just because, personally, I'm clean and sober, it doesn't mean that life doesn't happen. And for me, there's been quite a lot of difficult things that's happened in my life in the 33 years since I've been clean and sober. Wow, 33 years? Yeah. And like, well, were there long periods of kind of smooth sailing? Yeah, I guess the first five years. Yes. Buses arrived on time, trains were on time, everything was just, it was like a real sort of pink cloud the first five years. I, I heard something years ago, and I, I don't know if you found this as well, but I remember someone was telling me that often the things that went really, really wrong when they were, say, drinking or whatever, it almost happened again when they were in recovery. So there's a, I remember there's one woman in particular, she lost a child during her years drinking and the same thing happened afterwards. Okay. Um, I didn't lose a child when I was using. Yeah. But when I was nine, no, I'll go back. When I was five years clean, four or five years clean, my son, Troy, came and told me that he'd started using. And he was using all the fun party drugs, and it was all fantastic, wonderful, and marvellous. And um, I said, Troy, please be careful. I'm an addict, your dad's an addict, your stepfather's an addict, and both of your uncles are addicts. So there's every possibility that you will be too. And he said, don't worry, Mum, I'm okay. Within a year, he was injecting heroin. And every day after he started that, I worried about receiving the late night phone call or the knock on the door. And um, when I was nine and a half years clean, I'd taken a sabbatical from work and I was living in Israel. And on the 19th of November, 1997, my phone rang and it was my sister to say that Troy had had a coronary 
that he was on life support and it didn't look good. And I, I didn't know what to do. I just felt bereft. Mm. And um, I went to meet a friend and um, he came back to my home with me. And just as we arrived, the phone rang. And my sister rang up to say that he had just died. He died when my sister and my mum and dad were on the way to the hospital to see him. And my friend took me, just drove me up into the mountains. And um, I just sat there feeling that he had gone, yeah. that he had left. And um, I had to arrange to fly home the next day. And then I had to do lots of grown-up things that I'd never done before. Yes, of course, yes. Like arrange, I went to see him in the uh, hospital. He was still in the viewing room. He had a lavender-coloured sheet pulled up to his shoulders. He still had a cannula from his neck and he still had the base of the breathing tube in his mouth and he looked at peace. He looked pale, he didn't have a line on his face and he looked like he shouldn't have been dead because mm. he shouldn't have been. And um, that was the worst thing that could ever happen. Of course, yeah, that's it. How, how did you get through that? How did you deal with that? I spoke to my friends, I went to meetings, I shared, I overshared. Did you feel like you were going to relapse? I mean, was there a risk of relapse? No, and that's the thing. I thought about smoking a cigarette, mm. and somehow or other, my faith in the programme that I work grew. And as your addiction before was far more than cigarettes. Yes, it was, oh, it was heroin. I was an injecting heroin mm. user. So, yeah, so I got through it. You know, and I didn't pick up. I did feel like having a cigarette, but I didn't because I knew if I picked up one cigarette, I would be picking up two packets a day before long. Yeah. So. And was it the sense, I mean, like, so almost right away, did you have the sense, I need to do things? Yeah, well, the, I'd say one of the things when you, you face the challenge of someone dying, there are lots of administrative sort yeah. of things that you have to do, which kind of like gets you through the first week, I think, you know, sort of making the arrangements, registering the death, sort of going to the undertakers, arranging the funeral, all of these things kind of like... Um, help you get through the first week. Yeah. And um, it's very strange, but for the first couple of weeks, I slept really well. But as soon as my eyes flipped open, I just saw him in the viewing room. Oh and, um, but what happened was that over, I don't know, maybe a couple of months, I didn't 
you know, the image didn't come to me for a few minutes, yeah. and then after a while, it was maybe sort of 15, then half an hour, and as time grew passed by, I didn't see the image straight away. Did, did you kind of feel, when all this happened, that almost like your, your training kicked in? So all of those, years, those nine years before where you had been working to you know, be able to cope with life. And, and I suppose as you said earlier, that you said about well, meeting life in life's terms or something like that. Do, do you kind of feel that it was almost like your training kicked in? Absolutely, absolutely. Because kind of, it was kind of like back to basics. Yeah. Do all the things that I'd been taught to do, which was to call people, to talk to people to attend meetings, you know, that was it, you know, just... And how soon were you doing that after, after you got the news, I mean, immediately? I got on the plane the next day, mm. and then I think, because I stayed at my parents' house, I think, and um, my friend came and picked me up and took me to a meeting, mm. took me for lunch, brought me home again. You know, people people from all over were calling me all the time to see if I was okay, to check up, you know, and come and pick me up, to take me out to eat, just to, my friends made sure that I was no, alright. One thing I know this, I mean, I, I sp- spending time with people who are grieving, often this thing comes up where people they wonder if they're grieving enough or, or grieving too much. It's, it's almost they're thinking, am I grieving too much? Am I grieving enough? Did, did, that, did that happen for you? Well, it was very weird. I was, it, I guess this is shock. Yeah. But for a long time, I didn't, I just felt absolutely numb. Yeah. Absolutely numb. You know, and I went through the, the grieving process but um, what stopped me from healing yeah. was my own personal guilt that because of I'm an addict and he had seen me using that I felt responsible for his using as well and so it was a process of quite some time of having to learn how to forgive me years years but I wasn't miserable and unhappy all yeah. that time, you know? And, and the nine years before that, I mean, had you had lots of adversity in that nine years? I mean, you mentioned five years, and I think yeah. five years does tend to be special for a lot of people yeah. for some reason. When I was five years, I was actually diagnosed with hepatitis C, which was, we might say, a re-diagnosis, because when I'd been using, I was diagnosed with non-A, non-B, which was the old name yeah. for hepatitis C. But being in my sort of stoned, mad state at the time, I thought, oh, that means I don't have A and I don't have B, therefore I have nothing. And I was working somewhere when I was, at the place I was working when I was by this clean, was in a staff meeting one day, someone said, oh, the old name for hepatitis C used to be non-A, non-B. And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> they told me that years ago. So I got myself off to the hospital and had it checked. And then I 
referred myself to the uh, Liver Unit in King's College. And yeah, so that was the beginning of it, of another type of adversity. And did that seem so unfair to you at the time? It did a bit, you know, because I, I just had my life restored to me. You know, yes. my addiction was in the background. And then suddenly I, I'm kind of like possibly an ill person. You expect to be well beyond the consequences of yeah, don't you? absolutely. Yeah. And um, so what's happened is that, so from five years I was regularly going to the clinic having different sorts of treatments and things and I had some that didn't work and um, I was regularly having scans and then to begin with I was diagnosed with fibrosis of the liver and then after some time that was that fibrosis turned into cirrhosis and then you know after regular regular checkups, I think fourteen, getting on for fifteen years ago, I was diagnosed with hepatocellular carcinoma, which is primary liver cancer. So I've had various treatments for that in the past fourteen years. Yes. Of which I've had Transarterial chemoembolization, which is where they put the line, a catheter into the femoral artery, and feed chemo directly up into the tumor. So the good thing about that, even though it's very unpleasant, is that you don't get any of the side effects associated with normal chemo. That my hair didn't fall out, and um, I, my skin didn't get really damaged. And the other treatment that I've had to have as well is radiofrequency ablation, where they put a probe into the liver through the ribs and microwave part of it. And I think I've had five of those treatments. Or and it's six. not over yet, is it? No, it's not over because I, I just found I've just done some bloods here, and I just. I've got a scan organised in three weeks and my blood showed that my tumour markers were very high, yeah. higher than they've actually been before. So I'm going back and um, who knows? But so, so this is a topic that you're absolutely qualified to speak on, isn't it? You, know, you certainly understand adversary. Yes. And this is at the end of it. Yeah. I could tell you more. I mean, someone listening to this, and you know, they're just they're just thinking about quitting drugs that are in the early days. They're going to be very maybe go. Well, what's the point? The point is that despite this, and also I have to add also that two years after my son died, my mother died. Mm. Then. In 2007, in May, my elder brother died of addiction. In May, my father died. Of, he was 80. He died of old age. And in the August, my younger brother died of addiction. So, 
that's also yes. <laughs> quite a first thing. Of course. And in, in, the, in that year, that was when, in the September, that was when I was diagnosed with liver cancer. So it was a pretty horrible year, but I didn't want to use. And the thing is, I want to live today. Yeah. You know, I have a fantastic life. Despite, despite this thing in my liver, I don't let it get into my head. So you would never, ever regret your decision to quit drugs? Never in a million years. My God, the life that I've lived over the past 30 year, 33 years is phenomenal. Yeah. You know, on my life when I was using, I was sort of almost comatose most of the time. Yes. And since I've been clean, I've travelled. I've done things, you know. I've watched the sunrise over Mount Everest. Oh, yeah. I've been on the Darjeeling Himalayan Railway. I've um, snorkeled off the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Uh, what else have I done? I have prayed in St. Peter's Church in Rome, the Vatican. Um, I've rode a horse around the pyramids and been inside the Great Pyramid. I've been to the treasury in Petra. Yeah. And... Um, some might say, well, you could have done some of that stuff on drugs, but it wouldn't have been the same, would it? I wouldn't remember it. Yeah. I wouldn't remember it, yeah. you know? I've done some amazing things, you know? I've, I've prayed at the Western Wall in Jerusalem, you know? I've done all these amazing things and more, you know. And you can kind of see that, you know, you've you, you, you this great love for life. Yeah. And I've been to Angkor Wat. And I remember it. I've been inside the Coochie Tunnels in Vietnam. You know, I've done some things that I would never have dreamt that I would do. You know, I'm 70 years old. Mm. And... I don't feel it. You've had a life. I've had a life. And I'm, more to come. And more to come. I'm sure whatever, you know, whatever is in front of you, you know, you're going to get the most out of it, get the, get the fun out of it and the joy out of yeah. it. Yeah. Life, you know, is about living. Absolutely. You know, and I don't, you know, the desire to use was removed from me quite soon. And I have to say that in 33 years, I have not had a serious desire to use. I'm really glad to hear you say that. Because I'm the same. I, I mean, my alcohol problem just stopped, in, yeah. in, in a sense. But some people have this fear, oh, you know, I'm going to be spending the rest of my life trying to fight off this craving. No. Life is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's not boring. You know, this is one of my things about why I didn't want to stop using. Mm. A, I thought that I would go back to feeling as I felt before I stopped using, which was pretty sad, miserable, lonely and isolated, yeah. you know? And what I found, I did feel like that for a little while when I first got clean. But I did a lot of work on myself and now, I don't feel like that anymore. Yeah. Life is exciting. I live a Because here's the thing. I, I kind of have it. There's a saying that you hear recovery people say that I don't particularly like. And it's that idea of a bridge to normal living. 
you don't sound like you've had a normal life. No, I've had a fabulous, amazing yeah. life. And it's kind of like, because people think, like, and you go, a normal life, well, that's what I kind of had before and I, until I found drugs. But it's not really about getting back to that. It's about something much, much better. Yeah, I, my life is far better than I ever, ever dreamt of, ever. So probably right now, and no doubt there'll be people listening to this who have some adversity in their life. What would, you, what would you say to them? What would you recommend they do? I would say, don't pick up, or if you've got to pick up something, pick up the phone or pick up a pen. It will pass, mm. whatever it is. And sometimes things are really, really difficult, but they do pass. That's... And do you feel it's important for people to, you know, as best they can, kind of face the pain rather than doing anything to, to, to avoid it or... Well, some, I know sometimes you can't. I mean, sometimes yeah, it's just sometimes too much. the pain just comes slowly. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't... All, because of um, shock and denial, it doesn't always come straight away. Yeah. And I know that my pain with my son, it came slowly, piece by piece. And it's still there at times, you know? And I just want to say that I am not the same person I was before I before he died. Yeah. It changed me. It cha- you know, I'm kind of like the same but different. Yeah. You know, and I think that sort of thing does change us. And but not for not for the worse. In some ways, the change has been for the better. Yeah. I know that sounds paradoxical, but it's true. I think it is. What would you say to parents who they, they feel like you did, that their kids are now addicted to drugs and they feel this tremendous guilt? I think it's to try and forgive themselves. Mm and not blame the child or themselves. Because yeah. I know that my parents had four children, three of whom were addicts, which was me and both my brothers. And um, my parents always kind of like said that it was, we were just bad. Yes. <laughs> It's like, hey, how come you had three kids who are all addicts? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing, I mean, we're, we're kind of blaming the parents. I mean, you can keep on passing the book back. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it was my parents, and it was their parents, yeah. and it was their parents. So there's no... That nobody, I don't think anyone intentionally sets out to harm their kids. No. And this is the thing I've realised about my parents. They didn't intentionally harm me. Yeah. In fact, what they did... They fed me, they clothed me, they took me on holiday, you know, every year. They, you know, I had presents on my birthday and Christmas. Mm. Not necessarily the things I wanted, but, you know. (laughs) And, but what they didn't do, which what they probably didn't realise, they never gave me any affirmation Mm. or anything to make me feel good about myself. So they didn't deliberately harm me. My parents went through the war, the Second World War, which was a time of deprivation and fear. 
and so my I think and weren't there all these ideas as well in the culture about how to treat kids and, and a lot of it was kind of very tough love kind of yeah stiff up a lip yeah. don't cry don't 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 money cuddle with me and say don't show affection yeah that was it and yeah. that was the thing and I know having spoken to my father he was really molly coddled by his mum mm. and he hated it he was yeah. always embarrassed you know she used to embarrass him so he was the opposite of what his mum had been to yeah. him. That's often the way, isn't it? You can't just yeah. do the opposite damage to your kids. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I think as well, I mean, I think people have to remember that when we're, you know, when we're caught up in addiction, we're not necessarily in a position where we can always make the best decisions. You know, that it's not, you know, that it, it, the way it affects our, our outlook and our, our coping skills, that... You know, it's easy to look back years later and say, I should have done this and I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, that's, that's from a different place. That when you're kind of in it, it's almost like the, the options we have are fewer, you know. And sure, if we're, if we're struggling to cope with our own life, I mean, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. 